Let's take the word of God together this evening and turn once again to the Old Testament book of the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon. We return to chapter 5, if you would please. And the last time we looked at this on Wednesday night, we looked from verses 9 to 16. Let's return to that portion of scripture again. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 9 to 16. You have to pardon me, my voice is a bit weak and um, don't know combination of a couple of different things, but I'm not going to be able to shout and scream and carry on as perhaps I would like to. So uh, just listen carefully and maybe those girls could keep me turned up back there so I wouldn't feel like I've got to shout. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 9 to 16. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest among women. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? That thou dost so charge us. I remind you the scenario. The bride was asleep. Half asleep, half awake. The bride, a picture of the church. And upon the visit of her beloved, she just couldn't be bothered to get up. She couldn't be bothered to meet him. She could hear him somewhat. She knew he was there, but was far too comfortable. And I believe that is the condition of the majority of Christians today, of the church today, comfortable and asleep, unwilling to be inconvenienced at all for Christ. We are more concerned about our convenience and our comfort than we are about the glory of Jesus Christ. And therefore, if it, if we don't really feel like it, we don't do it. We don't really feel like getting up to pray, we don't do it. We don't feel like going out to the city center to tell others of the Lord, we don't do it. If we don't feel like reading the scriptures, we don't do it. Because we just don't feel like it. I sleep. That was what she said. Open, he said. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. But she says, I put off my coat. I've gotten quite comfortable. I can't put it on again. I've washed my feet. Lord, you surely you wouldn't expect me to, to get up again. And, and when he withdraws himself, then she chases after him. That's usually the way it is. It usually takes the Lord withdrawing himself from us before we get up to go after him. She goes on the hunt in the middle of the night looking for her Lord, looking here and there. She gets a bit of abuse from the people she should have never got abuse from, from those who should comfort her and help her. She gets a bit of abuse. Then she comes to another group of people, the daughters of Jerusalem. And she says, look, if you find, would you please tell him that I am looking for him and I'm lovesick. That makes them, this group of people, the daughters of Jerusalem, watching this little bride, listening to her speak about her beloved and seeing the urgency in her and seeing that there's something so special in her eyes about this, this beloved that makes them say, well, what is thy beloved more than another beloved? I think it's interesting to me that it surprises the world. It surprises the world when they see someone who, who is apparently normal or approvable in their sight, 
and they are so infatuated with Jesus. They don't, they can't get their mind around it. Although that perhaps they might see like some of the folks here, you've got a scientific background and you believe this. You're a pretty clever chap. Look at you. And you are infatuated with Jesus, whom the world d- despises. Just doesn't add up, does it? And that's the reasoning behind the question, what is thy beloved more? In fact, it isn't even so much that she was outwardly beautiful. No, no, no. But there was something deeply attractive about her love for him. In fact, they say to her, what is thy beloved more than another? O thou fairest among women. It's interesting, an interesting thought that grace in the life of a believer makes any person truly beautiful and lovely, no matter how ugly they may be on the outside. When you've got the Lord Jesus living inside of you, and when you've got a deep love for Christ that is overflowing, then it doesn't really matter how ugly you might be outwardly, people will be attracted to you. There's something extremely attractive about someone who is in love with Christ. And the question suggests something very interesting. The question suggests that Jesus is greater than other beloveds. What is your beloved more than other beloveds? Meaning that there are other beloveds. Can I ask you tonight, who is your beloved? And really, this is where I want to spend some time this evening. Who is your beloved and what makes him or her or it your beloved? What makes him so special in your sight? What makes it uh, so overwhelmingly beautiful in your sight? What is it that has the most power over you? What is it that has the most sway in your life? That it has the power or they have the power to make you turn aside and do something else that makes you stop, that makes you tick, as it were, who is it or what is your beloved? Who is it or what is it that your soul loves more than anything else? Because that's your beloved. And let's be honest, there are millions of different beloveds in the world. And can I just say this evening, if your beloved is anything or anyone other than the Lord Jesus himself, then that beloved is an idol. It's a strange lover. Especially if you've been born again. Because you belong to Christ. And you ought to have eyes for nobody but him. Eyes for nothing but him. The scriptures speak about other beloveds all through throughout the pages Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18, and he speaks, For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God or whose beloved is their belly. Their beloved is himself. Their their desires. I meet people like this all the time. They call themselves Christians, and they might even wear a little abel that says Christian. They're no, not really following Christ. They're following their belly. They do what they want to do. Whatever's convenient, whatever's desirable, whatever interests them. Their God is not the Lord Jesus. Their God is their belly. And therefore, as their appetite changes, so does their behavior. 
That's just one example of another beloved. John writes in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, love not the world or don't let the world be your beloved. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, then the love of the father is not in him. Meaning if the world has become your beloved, then the Lord Jesus is not your beloved. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the desire to have something you shouldn't have, the lust of the eyes, the desire to do something you shouldn't have, the, uh, the, lust, uh, the pride of life, the desire to be something you should never be. It's not of the Father, it's of the world. The world passes away, the scriptures say. And there are many other idols, many other beloveds that the world has. I wonder who is your beloved? The interesting thing is that little bride wasn't searching for any of those things. If her belly was her God, she didn't have to look very far, did she? If her beloved was her own desires, then she wouldn't be out in the middle of the night looking for her beloved because her beloved is always with her. If her beloved was the world, she wouldn't have to look very far, switch on the telly, open up Facebook. Uh, that beloved is at hands reach, hands length. It's interesting to me that all the other beloveds of the world can be easily accessed, can't they? But the one true beloved is often hard to find. She was searching for him whom her soul loveth. And because of her zeal and because of her persistence, and because of the uniqueness of her beloved, they were caused to ask, well, what is thy beloved? It's interesting that they didn't say who is thy beloved, but what? They knew of him. They knew his name. And tonight, some of you know of him. And some of you know his name, but you do not know what it is that makes him the beloved above all others. You do not know what it is that makes this beloved exceptional. You do not yet know his worth and his value. That's why you can come and leave him. You can come and hang out with him for a little bit and then hit the road. You can come around his people and spend time with him and then go. You're back and forth, up and down, because you've never been enabled to look upon him for who he is. You've never seen his worth and his value. Can I say tonight, as we begin to look at this text, if you are ever to know Christ, if you're ever to lay hold on this beloved that is above all other beloveds, you must first realize that your current beloved is not sufficient. Jesus will never be your beloved. He will never be your Lord. He will never be your Christ. He will never be your Savior. He'll never be the, the fairest of 10,000 to your soul until you stop for a moment and say, perhaps the thing that has captivated my attention for all these years is not enough. Not until then. Not like, that's what these women did. These daughters of Jerusalem said, well, hold, hold, hold on just a moment. What makes your beloved better than mine? And they were willing for the first time to think and consider that perhaps their beloved was inferior to another. Maybe tonight you'd be caused to see that your present idol just isn't cutting it. Something or pardon me, someone is missing. Are you willing to admit that? You will never find him until you admit that there must be more. I was 18 years old when I laid on my bed 
alone at night in my little bedroom. Grew up in a mobile home and tiny little box room with thin paper, thin walls. And I lay there on my bed thinking to myself, there's got to be more to life than this. God was showing me. I didn't even know it was God. But God was showing me that everything that I had counted beloved wasn't actually satisfying. All that I was expecting to bring me contentment and satisfaction and peace and joy, all of that was passing away. It wasn't sustainable. And I began to realize that my beloved was not so beloved after all. All of us naturally have some lust or some idol or some beloved besides Christ that we've set our affection on. What is yours? Tonight, this evening, you must put that lust, that idol, that beloved, you've got to put it up against the loveliness of Christ. And in so doing, you will see how beautiful Christ is and how absolutely ugly and despicable and insufficient was your previous beloved. I think that's why we protect our beloveds, isn't it? I think that's why we try to try to keep hidden our secret loves, our idols, our lusts, and we dare not compare them to Christ. We dare not bring them out in the open because in doing so, it would be so obvious to everybody else and thus so obvious to ourselves that what we have loved for so long is so terribly lacking. And so we keep it hidden. But I wonder tonight, would you bring that idol, that lust, that beloved, and set it next to Christ tonight? Then you'll see that he outshines all others. Next to my beloved, your beloved is a pygmy. Next to my dear Savior and my great Lord and my great King, my beloved, your beloved is just a little dwarf. What is, what is thy beloved? I wonder if you're willing tonight to ask, what is thy beloved more than mine? And if you are, this is the first step to finding Christ. Because the more you look on Christ, the more beloved he will become to you, and the less beloved your idol will be to you. As the one stands, the other falls. So if you're ready, here we go. What is thy beloved? I love what she says. If you could put a title on this tonight, you can just wrap it up like she wraps it up in verse 16. He is altogether lovely. What makes thy beloved more than another beloved? He is altogether lovely. And here's what she does. She speaks in general about how precious he is. And then she gives 10 specifics about how precious he is. And then she wraps it up with saying, this is my beloved. This is my friend. He's altogether lovely. Let's begin with those general statements about his loveliness. Look at there in verse number 10. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. White and ruddy. Somebody once said that the very, the very definition of health is that combination of complexion of whiteness and red. Red blushing cheeks. Now that, especially in that part of the world where skin was prone to be darkened by the sun. And uh, you know in this part of the world, some of our friends who originate from the east, that part of the world, they'll often try to hide from the sun for a year before they get married because in their opinion, the paler the color, the skin, the paler the complexion, the more beautiful. So he is white 
and ready. Well, as much as it could be said about white and ready, some have imagined that you have there the perfect combination of the divinity and the humanity of Christ. The whiteness, the purity, the pure brilliance of Jesus. He is God in the flesh, which makes him beloved above all beloveds. Ruddy, red. They tell me that the word Adam means red. Perhaps it came from the Hebrew word Adama, which means red earth. Well, Jesus is the second Adam. And he isn't the first Adam, for by one man sin came into the world, but by the second Adam, but by Christ, grace came into the world, and forgiveness came into the world. And so we can say that he is white, he is God, and he is ruddy. He is perfectly man. Perfect man. I love this combination as we consider the Lord Jesus. He is like nobody else. He is the fairest, we sometimes say, the chiefest among ten thousands. We'll come to this here in a second, but in general, here's what she was saying. He's the best. He's the greatest. And she said, hey, just to give you a little bit of an introduction, you want to know what makes him better than anybody else? He's the chiefest. He's not just chief. He's not just more chiefy. He's chiefest, meaning nobody can be better than him. An amazing thought that Jesus is at the top. You cannot be more chief than he is chief. There may be many beloveds, but the Lord Jesus is chief. Amazing thought. He's chief in two ways. In and of himself, he's amazing. And in comparison with others, he is chief. Picture of the beauty of Christ. The bride, if you remember, was not white. Do you remember what she said? She said, I I was scorched by the sun. But he was perfectly pure and white. I love this thought. The Lord Jesus is without spot or without blemish. Divine. He's the light of the world. We recognize that there is none like him. He's holy. You cannot help but think about his blood that was shed when you think about the word ready. And the first two words that describe the divinity and humanity of her dear Lord and her beloved immediately sets him apart from the rest of every other human being that's ever lived. So tonight you may be saying, well, what's thy beloved more than anybody else? I've never met another human being that was both God and man at the same time. We could close up the book and say, game over. Never been another human being born of a virgin. Never been another human being without sin, without spot, without fault, without flaw. Therefore, we can say, My beloved is greater than all others. We're given in that same verse, he's the chiefest among 10,000. Literally chosen out of 10,000 to be the best. Chosen by God as man and mediator. Chosen to be savior. Chosen to be head of the church. Chosen to be mediator between God and man. Chosen to be the living stone. Chosen. It also can be interpreted That he's the standard bearer amongst 10,000. Gives the same connotation. The standard bearer was one who was to be lifted up, seen above all others. He carried the flag as the army marched into battle. He was at the front, so everybody knew where to go, and everybody rallied beneath the banner that he carried. Jesus is our standard bearer amongst 10,000. Chosen to carry the standard Chosen to carry the flag beneath which we all assemble to fight. He's our captain. He's our commander. 
He's our standard barrier. He carries our flag and his banner over me is love. The flag that he carries, the standard that he holds is love. The thing that draws us to him, the thing that causes us to fight is love. An amazing thought. That's what it says in chapter two and verse number four. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. So our standard bearer tonight, the thing that makes him the chiefest among 10,000 is that he holds up the banner of love. Everybody's got a different reason. Just yesterday we saw some people marching through town and everybody's marching and protesting. Fair enough. But there's nothing better to march beneath than the banner of love. Love of God for man, the love of Christ for me, and our love for God. Love. An amazing thought. You find this expression in the book of Isaiah throughout the Old Testament. His banner over me was love. This is what makes my beloved more than other beloveds. This is what makes him greater than any others. The thing that draws us to him is his love. It's not his is uh, his dashing good looks, as it were. It's not what he offers us, a little bit of money, a little bit of something here, and prosperity. No, no, no. It's his love. That draws us to him. That's what draws us uh, to fight beneath his banner, to enlist in his army. This is what makes him better than all the others. He's altogether lovely. We were in the open air yesterday preaching, and I'm standing on the box, and Speaking of Christ and a few young ladies, four or five young ladies stopped and, and uh, speaking about the Lord Jesus and how he was altogether lovely, fairer, uh, chiefest of 10,000. And, and I said, have you ever met anyone who would love you even when, when, when they know your faults and failures? And one girl said, my mother. And I said, well, that's good. I'm glad. But not, this is, this is totally different. The love that Christ has for us is far greater than the love of a mother even. Far greater than the love of a father even. It's remarkable when you consider his deep and lasting love. He is altogether lovely. And then after this little introduction, then the little bride goes into specifics. Ten things, his head, his locks, his eyes, his cheeks, his lips, his hands, his belly, his legs, his countenance, his mouth. She, she works from the top down. And describes specifically, a tenfold specific description of how lovely he is. Now, I've read several commentaries, and they all tell me that his head means this, his locks mean this. and his, Well, I'm not going to go into that tonight. I believe what she was saying is he is beautiful in every way. That the Lord Jesus Christ is intricately and deeply beautiful. And the more you get to know him, the more beautiful he is from head to toe. He, here's what she was saying. He's altogether lovely. There's nothing about him that's out of place. Nothing about him that's ugly. Every once in a while, you might see, meet somebody who you think is beautiful. And you, and you, the more you look at them, the more you spend time with them, you begin to realize, ooh, maybe they're not quite as beautiful as I thought they were. You might meet somebody who's beautiful outwardly, attractive outwardly, but inwardly, they're the ugliest looking person you've ever seen in your life. Beauty fades, but in our Lord and Savior, there's no beauty that fades. In fact, his beauty only increases the more we get to know him. He's altogether lovely. When thinking about the description of our Lord and thinking about the description that was given here, his head, his locks, his eyes, all of these things, I was thinking much about his compassion, thinking about his love for me. I thought about uh, his meekness. 
his lowliness. How he's the most understanding human being to ever walk this planet. He's the most accessible person that this world has ever known. Nobody like him. He empathizes and sympathizes with us. He's lowly. I remember reading in Galatians chapter 5, even this morning I read from it, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, these are the things that are exemplified in Christ, our beloved love. He's a man that perfectly expresses love. Joy. I like being around happy people, don't you? That's why I keep Imray around. You know, it seems to be always happy. I like to be around joyful people. Well, the Lord Jesus is full of joy. Full of peace. I love being around peaceful people. Uh, There's some people that you can be around who you're always always on edge with. The Lord Jesus is not like that. He's long-suffering. What a beautiful character trait. He puts up with a lot and he keeps suffering long. He deals with it again and again. He's gentle. He's not abrasive. He's gentle. I love this. He is the very definition of faith. In fact, Galatians tells us, chapter 2, verse number 20, that I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. His faith. He has faith. That's what makes him so beloved. He is meek. He's temperate, perfectly under control. I thought about to Peter when Peter wrote and said, add to your faith virtue. Nobody was more virtuous. No one was more morally excellent than Jesus. I've met some people before that I thought were living a good moral life. And then the more you get to know them, the more that comes out, you begin to realize they weren't as morally excellent as you thought. But Jesus is truly virtuous. He's knowledgeable. He's temperate. He's patient. He's godly. He's like God. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He's kind. Nobody's ever been so kind like Jesus. I try to be kind. I really do. But there comes a point when my kindness kind of runs out. And uh, then I feel bad. Because I wasn't so kind then. The Lord Jesus is altogether kind. He's not just kind, but he has charity. True, loving, compassion. Compassion, charity is love that is moved to action. Do you have this? He's altogether lovely. I can't help but think of Isaiah chapter 9 this time of year, and I cannot help but think about it when I think of the loveliness of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 9, we think about uh, the Savior who is unto you is born a Savior. Unto you is born a a son. Unto you a child is born. Unto, Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. Counselor. You ever needed a bit of advice? Nobody can do it like Christ. Nobody can advise you like him. You ever needed a defense attorney? Some of us have been at the court of law sometimes, and we needed a good attorney. Nobody is a better attorney than Jesus himself. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Our earthly fathers may have let us down, but he'll never let us down. And he's the Prince of Peace. This is my beloved. He's altogether lovely. In fact, you might say that this entire book from beginning to end is about the loveliness of Christ. 
is about how precious and beautiful he is. And this is why after 10 specific descriptions, she says, finally, he's just altogether lovely. This is my beloved. Here's what she was saying. Look here. I've made my choice. Have you? This is my beloved. I used to have another beloved, but this is my beloved. And he's so much greater than other beloveds that I've spent all night looking for him. But you know why you and I don't spend all night looking for him? Because we don't think he's that lovely. When we lose his presence, when we lose the sense of his nearness, we don't chase after him because we don't really see him as being that lovely. And she says, this is my beloved. I've abandoned all other beloveds. Will you? She says, I've laid on the altar of my new beloved. I've laid down there all my previous beloveds. I no longer chase after this world. I no longer let the God of my belly be my God. She is, he is my beloved and I am his. Can I ask you tonight, is he yours? Is he your beloved? And then she says something else that's very special. This is my beloved. and This is my friend. That's a lovely expression. Jesus is known in the New Testament as the friend of sinners. Now, I like that because it was a derogatory term. The religious crowd, those stiff upper lipped, self-righteous crowd. We didn't do things quite their way. But they're the ones that gave him this title. They're always talking Critically about the Lord Jesus because he was unorthodox. They didn't like that. The Bible says in Matthew 11 and verse number 19, the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Praise God. He's a friend of publicans and sinners. Because that's where I find myself. He's a friend. This is my beloved. This is my friend. We read in the Bible that God the Father is a father to the fatherless and Jesus is a friend to the friendless. Maybe tonight you feel lonely. Do you know it's possible to be in a room like this, a tent like this, in a crowd of people and still feel very alone. It's possible to be constantly surrounded by people and feel out of place. But the Lord Jesus is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And he really put the icing on the cake in John chapter 15 and verse number 11. He said, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. For greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants. From now on, I don't call you servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. One of the most beautiful things about being a friend of the Lord Jesus is he reveals things to you that's going to happen. He reveals the will of the Father. He reveals the plan of the Father. He reveals through his word things that are to come. This is my beloved and this is my friend. I wonder tonight, is he altogether lovely to you? If he isn't, there's something wrong. You don't see his worth and his value. If some other person or some other thing has become more lovely to you than him, there's a problem.
as a problem. There's always a danger of our heart being stolen from Christ. Guard it. Guard it. Praise God for human affection. Thank God for my wife and the love we have for one another. But there is no love like the love of Christ. And as beautiful and as lovely as my wife is, no one is more lovely than Christ. He's altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Do you know we could spend weeks looking at the loveliness of Christ. Comparing passage after passage, example after example of how lovely Jesus is. And tonight, maybe you still sit on that side of the fence when you're saying, what makes your beloved better than mine? I hope just in a little way you've begun to see that he's altogether lovely. He's altogether lovely. Would you bow your head with me, please? We're going to pray. I wonder, I'm going to talk to you for a second. I wonder how many of you know tonight that you don't love him like you should love him. You raise your hand, you don't love him like you should. Thank you, you can put your hand down. How many of you know tonight that perhaps there's another beloved present in your life that shouldn't be there? Would you slip your hand up? I see it. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Well, the best thing you can do is turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, we pray for help tonight. Far too long we've looked upon another beloved. Far too long we've let the glitter of the world distract us from the true beauty of Christ. For far too long we've allowed our bellies to be our God. And I pray that tonight we might see just how lovely, altogether lovely Christ is. We might be caused to see that He's the chiefest of 10,000. Help us to see, Lord, that he is our beloved and our friend. Draw us ever near to him. Give us eyes for Christ. Give us love for Christ. We pray for those who are seeking this evening, who are asking that question. What is it that makes him more lovely? May they see just a little tonight of how lovely Christ is. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things.